Hello, and welcome back to Transmitter. My name is Ryan Ford. I'm Nick Ruplinger, and today we have a special guest. Uh, Joe Kassler, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for being here. So <laughs> uh, today, for our first episode, we're going to be talking about Linkin Park. We're really excited to get into this. Do you want to take it away, Nick? Hey, Ryan, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah, man, I'm hanging out with McKay. We're going to take a look at his latest engravings and talk about giveaways for I Engrave stuff. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Especially about those giveaways. And you know, I was on the internet the other day and I saw these ads for these other engraving services and man, their prices are expensive. Yeah, man. A lot of those other engraving companies will charge you up the wazoo for things. But I've noticed that McKay's company, they have items that are priced very reasonably, making it affordable, especially this year, to get a personalized and really impactful gift. Get your parents something that is heartfelt with your signature, or you can even do a letter in your own handwriting on something. Oh yeah, that's right. And you can even send a scan of your handwriting on a letter and they can engrave it onto a sign, a bottle, or whatever you can think of. The possibilities are endless with them. Yeah. And right now, if you're in the checkout area, you can type in TP10 in all caps in the promo code box and you'll get an extra 10% off. A gift from us. Go to iengravestuff.com today. Um, yeah, sure. So, yeah, Linkin Park, if you don't know who they are, although I feel a lot of people already know who they are, but they're kind of a new metal age band that started, I guess they kind of started in the middle of the 90s, but then didn't really um, get signed and come to fame until like the early 2000s with Warner Brothers music. But I don't know, I feel like you know their discography a little bit better than I do. But. Okay, yeah, I'll get us started here. So I guess first off, we'll start with uh, Chester Bennington. That's how a lot of people, I I think kind of know Linkin Park. Chester Bennington is their lead singer. He passed away tragically in, was it 2017, I believe? Yeah, 2017. Yeah, and so that's how a lot of people know about this band is from his passing. But more than that, he was just an amazing vocalist. He was renowned in the rock, new metal scene, I guess. Yeah, and, and they started as a new metal band, but they kind of just evolved over the years. They, you know, stretched into alternative music. They had they had some music that was more pop-oriented, I feel like. Um, yeah, definitely towards the end. Yeah, kind of more catchy. And some people really liked their, you know, how they evolved over the years, and some people really didn't. They've gained new fans and lost old fans. But it's been really cool to watch that, especially as someone who grew up on their music, because we've been able to watch them just come from something and change into something completely different and I mean now you've got Mike Shinoda who is a guitar player slash rapper for the band who is actually doing his own solo project under his his own name now and gosh it, it stretches into so much more you've got Chris Cornell which was a great friend of Chester Bennington who is in Soundgarden well was in Soundgarden and it, he has tragically passed away as well Chester Bennington actually passed on his birthday so we'll we'll be getting into all of this, but we just kind of wanted to try and get you a brief overview of Linkin Park as the band that they are and and what their sound is, where they've kind of came from. So I think from here we can probably get into, you know, some of their history. So Joe, what do you what comes to your mind when you think about Linkin Park growing up and listening to their music? Oh yeah, uh, Linkin Park. Growing up, I was raised on classic rock, uh, you know, bands like 
uh, Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen, uh, Beach Boys, all that sort of stuff. And growing up, I started getting in, branching into more modern music or modern at the time and getting into harder rock. Uh, I started getting into bands such as Three Doors Down and, you know, Daughtry. And then from there, I ventured into, you know, more of the new metal stuff such as Linkin Park. And I was just uh, really blown away when I first started uh, listening to their music. To me, in my opinion, the most distinct sound, I suppose, of Linkin Park is Chester Bennington. I mean, when you hear his voice, you you hear his style of singing, you instantly know that that's Linkin Park. Definitely. Yeah, like I remember Ryan telling me how when they were first having auditions for singers in the band, there was this long line, and I guess some of the people after they heard Chester audition, they just walked out of out of the line to not even audition because they're like, okay, this guy's got it in the bag, just because he was just so amazing with his dynamic and his vocals and and. I think many people knew that, okay, this guy, he's got it. You know? <laughs> yeah, more than his voice, it was, it was just his passion that he put into his singing. Yeah. Of course, he has incredible cleans, but his, his screaming is also something to know. I mean, it's not just like fry screaming or anything that you hear from other stuff. He's literally like belting out his frustrations and the emotion that he has that he puts into this music. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You can definitely hear all the anguish in different songs that, that they sing, and especially in the, even though it was a kind of more of a pop song in the last song that he recorded heavy I think you can really hear that in his vocals I mean, like you can just hear the anguish and the or the passion that comes behind it and in, in the way that he sang wrote his music uh, and when I say that he was renowned as a vocalist like he really was Rick Rubin himself even said that he can hear like three different voices within Chester's voice when he's singing he just has a voice that is very unique and that no one else I don't think there's gonna be anyone who will be able to mimic his voice ever like it was just very unique and but yeah so it, Linkin Park actually had another lead singer before Chester back when they were called Zero because their first band name was actually Zero, and they had a different lead singer, and then they eventually changed their name to Hybrid Theory. But it's funny, Mike Shinoda, the guitar player slash rapper in the band, he didn't want the band to be named Hybrid Theory because he wanted to be able to have a website that had the band name as the title. So, and Hybrid Theory was already taken by someone else, the domain name. So they actually ended up changing the name again to Linkin Park, and that's what they stuck with because they had the rights to the domain name and, that was and if you look back on it when you look you know they were in the middle of the 90s the internet was still becoming a thing back then and for him to think that far ahead that hey the internet's going to be explode and we we want to have our own domain name oh, that was an incredible i guess foresight of mike Shinoda you know, to think yeah we should have our own name rather than just be hybrid theory something something else that's kind of a little bit more ambiguous yeah, it was genius. I, I mean, the guy was very smart from the get-go. A lot of people credit Chester Bennington, his vocals and everything. And, and yeah, I, I mean, obviously he should be credited for that. But Mike Shinona actually ran a lot of the kind of back, background stuff in the band. It was in charge of a lot of the sampling. And so we want to make sure he gets his due diligence on this episode as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Mike Shinoda is an incredible artist. Like, he is through and through an artist with his stuff in Linkin Park, as well as the stuff that he's done with his own solo projects, such as Fort Minor, and now, you know, today with his self-titled project. And uh, the work that he does is so solely for his own artistic ventures. It, all the music that he's ever made uh, with Linkin Park and anyone else has been for him. It was never to, to get rich. It was never um, to get famous or anything like that. And transitioning a 
little bit into Linkin Park's evolution, the reason why they evolved is because they wanted to explore lots of different genres. They didn't just want to stick to one formula. And of course, Mark Shinoda was one of the forefronts of their songwriting. If Chester Bennington, in my opinion, if Chester Bennington was the head of Linkin Park, Mike Shinoda was the body. I definitely agree. I mean, both are very intricate parts of it, but without the other, I don't think they probably would have gone as far without the other. Yeah, well, and I think that, you know, especially when you look at their first two albums, Hybrid Theory and Meteora, a lot of it is sampling, and it's, it's almost like they took pieces of recording and just, like, spliced them all together into one cohesive thing. That's why you can take their songs and break them down so easily. You know, there's defined choruses and intros, and, and Rick Rubin and others have actually said that before Minutes to Midnight, their third album, it's technically their fourth if you include the reanimation album, I think, but he actually said that it was a lot like hip-hop sampling, where they would just splice, you know, they didn't have, like, jam sessions where they would all sit down and jam it out and, and make their music. They would actually take their vocals over, over one take, and then they would come up with a riff to go behind it, or, you know, vice versa, and just splice it all together, which they actually changed that as they progressed. Minutes to Midnight was the start of actually them doing major jam sessions together and getting a little bit more creative in that regard. Yeah, I actually remember reading about that last night because I was trying to do a little bit more to, to add to the podcast, and I remember reading that when they were doing Minutes to Midnight, that they had over 30 different songs that they could have put on the album, and then that they it was mainly Mike Shinoda who handpicked which songs went on to the album down to, I think it was like, you know, 17 songs that are on the album out of 30 that could have been. Yeah, they just had a lot to, to add on to there, and what what you got is, is the a really awesome album. And Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring up Minutes to Midnight. A lot of the people that I talk to when we talk about Linkin Park, of course, uh, our peers, our, our generation, we grew up listening to Linkin Park, and so we're very well familiar with how they've evolved. And a lot of the people that I talked to that were fans of their early stuff said say that uh, Minutes to Midnight was sort of the last good album, you could say, or it was the start of when they were, quote... At the, the yeah, height of their it, career, right? Yeah, it, it was the point in which the, their music started declining, you could say, mm -hmm. in quality or uh, creativity or whatever you may say. But what do you guys think about that? You know, that's a good question. I personally, I know their older stuff more than a lot of their newer stuff. I kind of feel because I'm on Minutes to Midnight, Midnight, that's where they had like what I've done in the other songs that were put on Transformers and other soundtracks and video games. And I feel like for me personally, when I was listening to all their music come out, I feel like Transformers, like I said, that was the height of their music, but it kind of went down. And for me personally, I did not listen to them as much after Minutes to Midnight. So for personally for me, I don't necessarily think the quality of the music went down. I just was not quite as interested because I personally, I love the, the hard electric guitar more than I do like a synthetic sound. Yeah, and I mean, with me, you know, if, if you look at it from their history, you know, with Hybrid Theory and Meteora, Hybrid Theory, they came out with this debut album that was unlike anything a lot of people had ever heard. New metal, rock rap, it was a meshing of uh, synths and beats, and, and then Meteora, I feel like they kind of perfected that synergy that they had with Hybrid Theory, and I've actually watched interviews with the band where they're like, we've explored this sound so much that at this point it's just easy to replicate, and we don't want to be that band that makes the same thing over and over, which is why they chose to branch out when they did Minutes to 
the Midnight. And Menace the Midnight is actually uh, the reason it's named that is oh, it's it's from like World War One or two, I think. There's like that countdown clock that they came up with, the Menace to Midnight clock. Do, do either of you guys know about that? I don't think so. So it's this clock that, depending on like how much tension there is between all the different countries in the world. It, sorry, this is very a very rough explanation, I guess, of it. But d depending on how much tension there is throughout the world, they'll mark the clock closer to midnight. Midnight being like total nuclear war, world devastation, like the end of everything. So it's kind of like a gauge between you know, midnight's like all out war and the few minutes is like just the, the little bit of time beforehand or yeah exactly like it, you know and the farther away it is from midnight the more like at peace the world is and everything okay so that's kind of why they named it that is i guess they felt like it was an impending countdown to change or at least that's what i've kind of put together from interviews i've watched with them so i i think if you take minutes to midnight as what it is which is a departure from their old sound and if you respect the fact that they really tried to change and really tried to do something different using a great producer, Rick Rubin, I think you can really enjoy that album and also their work past that album. But, you know, overall, just listening to it as someone who just hears it on the radio, I've always enjoyed their older stuff too, the the hard electric guitars, the, the stuff that didn't sound quite so electronic and was a little bit less catchy radio type music. Yeah, and that also reminds me, I watched uh, where Mike Shinoda watches the kids react to Linkin Park. And one thing I thought was kind of interesting, all the kids are like, yeah, I like, but I think I like the hip hop more, you know, the, the newer stuff. But when we, we were talking about, we all like the, the older, you know, distorted guitars and things like that. And I think that's the difference between our generation and the generation of today, because they love the more pop sound and we love the more rock sound. And I think it's just interesting to notice that because I think that's what helps them transcend you know, generations is because that they change, they evolve to kind of adapt and also to reach out, as Joe said, into other different genres too. I think it's it's really important to also like know where they were as a band and the time frame that they were releasing all of the stuff. When they were first releasing Hybrid Theory and uh, Meteora, that was in the, they were developing that in the late 90s going into the 2000s. And at that point, rock was still is a lot more prominent than it certainly is today. And, you know, hip hop and rap were definitely on the top as well. And uh, you see their message and of course their, their songs on those albums were definitely a lot more angry and angsty and it definitely appealed a lot to the younger generation of, of that time because they were talking about uh, people who don't understand them not being accepted even betrayed at times and you know those kinds of feelings that you have that a lot of people could identify with at that time and I don't think that there could have been a more proper way to infuse that with music than two genres such as metal and uh, rap bringing that together two genres that uh, separately are very well known for displaying that kind of message of, of anger and resentment and infusing that into something that a wide array of audiences can listen to, you know, the audiences that listen to rap and the audiences that listen to metal. Yeah, it was it was very well done. And I think that they just kind of got a little tired as time went on with, with doing that same, uh, I don't know, same level of organization with the, the rock and the rap. And I think that's why if you go on to their next album, A Thousand Sons, they even went even more experimental with their music. They There was a lot more electronic sounds. A, a lot of people actually compare that album to some of Pink Floyd's albums, where it was almost like a story as you listen to it. There was a lot of like filler tracks. Well, not necessarily filler tracks, but just songs with... So more like a concept album? Or like, yeah. Like Pink Floyd did? Much more 
like a concept album and there were themes in it and yeah and and when you look at the singles that came off of that album I don't think that Chester lost any of his emotion and his vocals but they were definitely a lot more like clean sounding and they just ring out so yeah like they definitely continued to change yeah, and what are some of the I don't know that album quite as well because like after Meteora I kind of like teetered off a little bit so what are some of the singles that came from uh, A Thousand Suns um let's see A Thousand Suns I think you had like Iridescent which was on the Transformers movie I think it was the third Transformers movie one of their like not so well known songs that I actually really enjoy off that album is uh, Wretches and Kings I feel like it's kind of grimy like some of their older stuff but it's there's not really any guitars in it it's okay it's more just electronic beats and they use samples from different speeches throughout history yeah so it, it's definitely their one of their most interesting records to date I would say and you can tell in their evolution uh, these guys were growing up and they were letting their music grow up with them you have hybrid theory and meteora which were very much angry on, on the angsty side but as they grew up you know they were experiencing life they were they had families recently on that same video with the kids reacting to Lincoln Park Mike Shinoda said that he would never ever let his kids watch early Lincoln Park music videos that's right yeah I forgot <laughs> yeah, about that because you know he was like oh my gosh this stuff is it's just so angsty it's unbearable and that's because they grew up and you can tell in their lyrics they were experiencing life and uh, it wasn't all like sad and tragic it was all overcoming trials and it was uh, you know for instance like waiting for the end the song off of a thousand suns where it's talking about you know coming to the end of certain chapters in your life and going forward with new beginnings love that track by the way <laughs> and i think in a thousand suns another thing to say it's kind of a transition but they also got kind of political in that album as well compared to their other albums because if you look back at their history so Hybrid Theory and Meteora were very clean records in the fact that there was no cussing or profanity. It was a lot more about raw emotion. And then Minutes to Midnight, they started getting a little bit more political with uh, tracks like Hands Held High, and they actually had some some swearing on that record. It was their first record to have a parental advisory sticker. And then A Thousand Sons pushed that even further and got even more political. You know, they talked a lot about how things were at the time with... It probably would be late Bush, Obama era. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like Minutes to Midnight and A Thousand Sons were definitely their most experimental and political records. But kind of going back to what Joe was saying about how they had families and everything, when you go into uh, their next album, Living Things, I feel like they kind of just condensed everything from the past into one album. That, that's one of my very, it, my personal favorites. Because I feel like they just took sounds from all their other albums and kind of meshed them together. They kind of took out some of the new metal sounds that hadn't aged very well, but still kind of stuck to their roots. And it was their, in my opinion, one of their most personal records. They talk a lot about, I don't know, there's a lot of emotional lyrics again, less political, more personal. Yeah, what do you guys think of that album? I didn't listen to that one too much because, like I said, I love electric guitar. I love the sound of, you know, that distortion. And after that, they didn't really use that as much. And so for me, I know maybe like a handful of their of their songs that they came out i never really listened to those albums as much because like you said the fan base changed mm -hmm. you know because and i would definitely say well, i'm one of those where it's like yeah i still like them but it's not what i would choose to listen to every day so personally for me i don't couldn't say as much about that album but i think you know just because it shows you 
just how they really did change and how their fan base changed too. Yeah, and so with Living Things, I think their number one single on that was Burn It Down. I, I hope I've got that title right there. That one was all over the radio. It was a huge hit. And I, I should probably say with all of their records, they won, oh man, all kinds of awards. Like I've, I think their first album was like five times platinum. Didn't they also win two Grammys? They got nominated for plenty for Meteora. Uh, I don't know if they ever, I, I'm sure that they've won at least a couple. <laughs> but yeah, and then, you know, Minutes to Midnight, it sold more in its first week than I think any other rock album that year. I think it was 2007. And then their next album, A Thousand Sons, did really well. I don't know, I'm kind of transitioning here again, but their live performances have always been very, very good. And going back to what Joe was saying earlier with Chester's voice, he just had a way with his screams. Like, even on his live performances, he could put so much emotion into his, his live vocals. And yeah, Chester and Mike, uh, those two are just such a dynamic duo frontmen. To have uh, both of those guys as the frontmen of Linkin Park was just absolutely essential to the success of Linkin Park. I mean, even in their later years, when they would go on tour, they would go on the stage and lots of people would actually be jeering at them and uh, booing at them. Yeah. And at the end of their performance, they totally won over the crowd. Those guys put on such an outstanding performance that no one, not even the people that dislike their later stuff could object to how awesome they are as a band. Yeah, I think that's really awesome that they, they were able to change the minds of those, uh, the, I guess you could say, haters. And um, I actually remember once, I don't remember what year it was, but I remember it was like sometime in junior high and I was just uh, I was just at home, just bored, watching, flipping through channels. And all of a sudden I saw there was this channel I was showing Linkin Park live in London. I was like, oh, whoa, cool. I'm just going to watch this. I had never really seen them live before. I'd never watched any videos of them live. I'd only watched their music videos or or lyric videos that other people have posted on YouTube. And wow, I mean, there was just so much passion and just so much movement in all of the band members, not just Chester and Mike Shinoda, but the entire band, which is all over the stage. I mean, except for the DJ, he had to stay in one spot. But, <laughs> but there was just a lot of just stage performance. They were interacting with the crowd. I, I'm, I'm kind of amazed that the, the camera were able, were able to keep up with them. But <laughs> I wish that I could have seen Linkin Park live before Chester had died just to see how it would be to experience a live concert with them. Yeah, and even from the beginning, they would actually practice all the time, like as if they were at a live performance. Like they actually felt that that was something that was important to do. And they've actually talked about it in interviews, how they'll just kind of do live practices where they just kind of romp around and act like they're on a stage and get the fans to, <laughs> the imaginary fans put their hands up. And, uh, and one more thing I want to talk about before we get into their next album, Hunting Party, is their uh, reanimation album that came out in 2002. I feel like we need to show that one a little bit of love. On that one, they kind of took some new samples and remixed a lot of their songs that they had already came out with on Hybrid Theory and Meteora and just kind of gave them new life. Because, I mean, you have to understand these two albums were so popular with with everybody that kind of going back and rehashing them, a lot of people actually really loved it. There wasn't a lot of people that looked down on it at the time. My favorites off of that album would have to be uh, Crawling. The, the rendition of Crawling on that is just incredible. When you listen to the lyrics of that song, I think that that version, that remix of that song more perfectly encapsulates the feeling that's in those lyrics. It's very much more subtle. It's very much more deep and on the inside. And I think that that's what they were really going for. And I'd say the second is uh, One Step Closer, which featured Jonathan Davis uh, from Korn. And I think that was a very, very interesting but awesome rendition. 
rendition of that song as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, um, especially on uh, Crawling. That I don't know if it's violins that they have at the beginning, but like just the way the track builds up into this crescendo. I mean, the track was already awesome when it came out in Hybrid Theory, but it really was just so much so much more on reanimation too. And yeah, definitely just a cool rendition of that song. I love the, the glitch effects that they put on Chester's vocals. You know, I, I, did you notice that on that song where you'll hear his voice glitch out a little bit it's very it just adds so much to it in my opinion oh yeah d definitely and some similar glitching on the song uh nth e end <laughs> it, it's kind of it's supposed to be in the end a rehash of that song but they use a lot of glitch effects on his voice there too which just gives it so much more life so yeah that's definitely a cool album if you like their older stuff and you've never heard it you should definitely check it out because it's kind of just taking your favorite songs and just kind of spinning them in a different way so they sound new again. Yeah, getting into Hunting Party, that album came out in 2014, and I really like this album because a lot of their albums prior to this were very clean cut in their mixing and mastering. When you go back and listen to their older albums, a lot of people actually say that it almost sounds, well, their critics say that it sounds robotic, the way that they've kind of spliced everything together so neatly and cleanly. But in Hunting Party, I feel like they really tried to be a little bit more raw in the way that they created their songs and almost make them sound kind of live in a way it, so yeah it was just a, a very raw way of doing a Linkin Park album something that we hadn't heard before and I've really enjoyed that about the album it's not my favorite overall but I really like that aspect of it what do you guys think honestly I don't know the album at all yeah I mean like Joe and I we, we were both serving missions for, for the LDS church at that time so I don't think we really listened to that one so I personally couldn't say anything and I, I don't think Joe yeah th that's not the the most recent one right it's like the second to most recent. Yeah, yeah, okay. so, yeah. yeah second to last record with uh, Chester Bennington. I, I think the most popular song out that they released off of that one was the first single, which was Guilty All the Same, uh, that had Rakim featured in it. Rakim is a very renowned rapper. He's been around a long time. And I know that Mike Shinoda was very happy to get him on that record. <laughs> so it, yeah, just going into that one a little bit, I, I guess some takeaways from that one are, yeah, it, it definitely sounded more raw and more like a live performance and it was more of the genre was more alternative I would say it had none of that really like new metal sound or it, you know anything like hybrid theory or meteora I, I mean they never really touched that sound again after those two records I feel like and yeah it had some cool features on it you know you had Paige Hamilton on all for nothing and rock him on guilty all the same until it's gone is another popular single that actually is still played on the radio today Final Masquerade is a great song off that record. Yeah, and if, if you just like songs that are a little bit more raw, if you like kind of that Green Day sound, I would say this record is for you. Oh, and you also have Tom Morello. I don't know how I could leave him out. Tom Morello on Drawbar, um, which we'll definitely be talking about on this podcast. <laughs> also, when you go ahead and just go into that one then. Oh, Tom Morello? Or, uh, or just that track? Well, both. Well, yeah, t Tom Morello. Uh, where do you even begin with him? He was in uh, uh, Rage Against the Machine, and he 
is one of, I, I think, the world's best guitar players that's alive. Tom Morello is very interesting because, I mean, of course, he's, he's from out east, and he definitely applies that to his music. He actually treats his guitar more like a DJ board than anything else. He uh, really makes love to it. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's definitely not the kind of guy that likes to shred. He, I mean, I, I know that he loves that kind of stuff, but that's not necessarily his style. He loves, um, you know, heavy riffs, but he also loves using his um, oh, the kill, kill switch. switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really renowned for that one. Yeah, he uses the kill switch all the time and uses pedals to just make the craziest sound effects with his guitar, and that's what he loves the most with um, guitar playing. Yeah, he's also in Audio Slave. Gosh, he's been in so much. We really will just have to do like a full episode on him to really tell you about all that he has done, which I, th I think we'll save that one for our Rage Against the Machine episode. So yeah, I, I guess moving on from The Hunting Party, the last album that they put out, I, I mean, of course they had, you know, their recharged album that came out in like 2013 and they had some live albums, but we're just going by like their major releases. Their last album was One More Light that came out in 2017. Their hit single, Heavy, they had a lot of other really fun songs on that record too. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the music video for their single, One More Light, is the tr their tribute to Chester, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty and, sure it is. Yeah, very special song there. And on the Jimmy Kimmel show, they actually were supposed to perform Heavy, but they ended up performing One More Light instead. It was after Chris Cornell's passing and Chester Bennington got super emotional on the live performance and he actually screams at one point and it's just I can remember I had like tears in my eyes by the end of it if, if you guys haven't seen it you definitely need to check it out it's awesome yeah and there's some great tracks on that like Good Goodbye that had Pusha T and you know Mike Mike Shinoda's on there too uh, with some some wicked rapping <laughs> but yeah th this album I think was a lot more like a pop album in a way I mean it definitely still had all of the aspects of rock and roll but they really got more pop sounding on this one and a lot of people didn't like it <laughs> and it, Chester Bennington was going through a very hard time on this album you know which I think ended up leading to his tragic passing but yeah so I mean that's I guess the kind of discography and I guess one thing that I'm interested in more talking about is also what would you say is your guys's all-time favorite Linkin Park song and what makes it your favorite for me I have like a tie between of course like I said I'm more into the earlier stuff breaking the habit which was the first song I ever heard by them so for that reason it'll always be one of my top favorites and also numb but before I get into those let's hear Joe what would you say is your all-time Linkin Park song golly I don't know that's that's a really good question I mean I have lots of different favorite songs from them for many different reasons the first song I ever heard from them was Numb and uh, I love that song I, I definitely really like their song that wasn't in their initial release of Hybrid Theory but uh, My December is a really great song oh, from yeah. them yes, yeah. yeah it's it's definitely a little more on the simplistic and raw side their DJ go all out with his disc scratching sorry to say that Breaking the Habit's amazing as well it's just got such a powerful message and i love the music video as well they went yeah that animated yeah, music video yeah really really neat music video and i i really gotta say what i've done and leave it all the rest from minutes to midnight also really hit the bullseye when it comes to lincoln park sound in my opinion yeah i love all of those songs i'm a i'm a huge lincoln park fan <laughs> i think that is kind of obvious at this point but yeah some of my favorite songs and i have 
lots of favorite songs for different reasons with this band and I mean that stretches across so many different genres like I have more songs than I can count that are my favorite but you know if you go into hybrid theory you know crawling is amazing points of authority was my jam back in high school I'd blast that one in the car all the time and feel invincible you know meteor you've got breaking the habit numb faint from the inside I thought was very powerful minutes to midnight I love the last track uh, the little things give you away I feel like it's a beautiful way to end off an album and there's so many more I mean I could go on all day and <laughs> I could talk about this band forever yeah. yeah they're great and and for me it's really hard to pick between those two ones I mentioned and I don't know, for, for lots of different reasons they're my favorite songs from them but I think it also goes back into how we talked about Chester's vocals he just put in his emotions when he would belt it and just hearing just if it's almost like you're instead of just listening to the song you're feeling his emotions as it fills in into your your ears and you can almost just like you just want to cry when you listen to the song so you can just see hearing like like during the bridge and in, in numb he says you know and i know that i'm end up, end up failing too and i know that you were just like me who was disappointed in you and i'm just for me i don't know why that it hits just such a chord because everybody i think is afraid of failing and letting down those authority figures that they have enough whether it's their parents a teacher or, or just a friend you know you're afraid of of letting people down and for me you know that's something you know i always want to try my best i don't want to mess up i don't want to screw up and i just feel like it's something that just about anybody can relate to and just i think why i mean also of course you know the the melodies in that song are just amazing too but we just mix that in with the lyrics that are just so meaningful i just can just listen to that one for hours and hours on end i'm really glad that you brought up melodies because that actually reminded me of something that i wanted to talk about and i i think some of the reasons that lincoln park's lyrics are so relatable chester bennington growing up was bullied all the time as a kid and you know so when you listen to a lot of the lyrics especially on their first few albums but across all of them you hear that passion and a, a lot of the songs are about someone who has been bullied or has been through a hard time in life and, and then mike shinoda he was very good and is very good at coming up with melodies for songs you know some of the melodies on meteora mike shinoda actually came up with and then had chester sing over them and you know chester just agreed yeah these are awesome like we, this fits the song perfectly we have to use this so they had kind of different styles when it came to writing lyrics but together as a team they were able to make some amazing songs but anyway i i feel like we've kind of covered the full discography we've we've gone over what we think of lincoln park but we would encourage you guys to tell us what you think i mean feel free to to post on our page or you can leave us little audio messages in the anchor app like tell us what you think about lincoln park and how they've influenced your life you know i, I will say in the music world from what i have observed um if we were to say who the new lincoln park is i would say it'd be the band bring me the horizon bring me the horizon in my opinion really carries on lincoln park's legacy in my opinion i mean you you listen to their music or you see their live shows and they they really capture the same sort of feelings that you get when you see lincoln park perform i mean ollie sykes as a front man definitely was inspired by chester bennington as ollie sykes went to lincoln park's very first performance in london Oh, really? And so, yeah, yeah. And uh, Ollie Sykes was invited to come to the Linkin Park tribute concert and sing. Uh, what song did Ollie sing? 
Oh, I, I wish I could. I, yeah, I, I haven't actually watched. I mean, I have watched a snippet of it, but I haven't watched the full thing. Yeah. So glad you brought that up, though, because, yeah, Bring Me the Horizon and Ollie Sykes. They, yeah, I think that's a very good point, though. You know, Linkin Park, they're not just some band that's going to be forgotten. They're going to be remembered, if not forever, but for a very long time, because they really did influence a new generation of music. And I think that's something that we're going to see for a very long time to come. IonGraveStuff.com is a local engraving service based in Linden, Utah. If you want an amazing engraving done on one of your personal belongings, get in touch with one of their specialists today. You might meet McKay, who is one of the main brains of the operation. He's also one of our close friends and the drummer of Nick's band, Blix10. Follow their Instagram page to stay in touch with the latest news for IonGraveStuff. And be sure to type in TP10 in all caps in the promo code box when you're shopping online at their store. I really enjoy their work. They make engraving look easy when it actually has quite a few factors that come into play. Many things can switch and cause a problem, but the pyros that I engrave stuff have it down to a science. They are continually improving their craft, which has been cool to see. If you want in on this action, look up I engrave stuff on Instagram, Facebook, and iengravestuff.com. Yep, that's the letter. I. And then engrave. And then stuff. iengravestuff.com. Yay! Yeah, so as we start to end off this episode, just want to talk about Chester Bennington. You know, his tragic passing really affected all the fans, the media. You know, his his suicide was devastating for everyone. And, you know, he was such great friends with Chris Cornell, and his suicide was on Chris Cornell's birthday. And we'll talk about Chris Cornell in another episode and, and his tragic passing as well. Yeah, so to end off here, we just kind of wanted to talk about, you know, Linkin Park's legacy and just how amazing they were and how it affected yeah, it's just crazy to see where they came from and where they ended up. Like, I remember in preparation for this podcast, I watched an interview from when they were first barely started, even before they got their record deal. And they were just in this basement, just jamming it out. And, you know, they were fighting over parking tickets because apparently someone had parked Chester's car and they didn't fill the meter. And then at the very end of the interview, it shows Chester chewing out one of his bandmates saying like, I'm not made of money. And now today I looked up his net worth. He's worth over 30 million dollars it's like you know it's just crazy to see you know just how much success they had when you know just comes to getting everything out and where they came and then all the different you know musical styles that they went from the new metal to the more pop and r&b styles and i think it also affected a lot of people on a personal level too. Like um, Joe and I, we went and saw Disturbed in concert and there's a new song that they have called um, Hold On To Memories. And as they're playing on this song, the song's about holding on to the memories of the loved ones because times change, people come and go. And they had this big, huge screen that had uh, this kind of like music video and it showed all these pictures, like a slideshow of all the people that they know and love that had passed away. And at one point of the song, you see Chester's video on there because he and the frontman David Draymond of Disturbed were very good friends too and I think it just it really impacted people in a lot of different ways more than just musically as fans but just think of how it must have been for their friends people that they toured with and made friends with their families it just it really was a tragic thing that happened yeah, I remember the morning of uh, Chester's passing uh, looking at my Facebook feed and I saw so many posts from the bands that I loved that knew Chester personally and gave a tribute to them and of course David German from Disturbed definitely gave a very long heartfelt post 
about uh, Chester Bennington and him as a person. And from what I've seen, every everyone that knew Chester uh, just just loved him. Linkin Park as a band, they weren't one of those stuck-up bands, you could say. They, and anyone that's in the music industry knows that the music industry fights you every step of the way. You very rarely find a friendly face in the music industry. But Linkin Park was one of those bands that were friends with everyone. They loved everyone, and they loved their fans. They loved their peers, and they loved each other and their families. And so, and especially Chester, I remember comments on him. He was, you know, the the guy that made everyone laugh in the room. He was the guy who warmed up people's days. And people who suffer from that struggle with things such as depression, as Chester did, you know, it's hard to see that they're going through that. And I think that, you know, it's something that we should really think about. You know, people as wonderful and as influential as Chester, they need people too, and they need friends as well. And yeah, going back to to families, Linkin Park's last album, you know, in a lot of their interviews, they talked about how they meant that album to be something that their family could listen to and have messages in it that were positive and uplifting. And I think even though Chester's passing was definitely devastating and, and terrible, you could take some solace in their last record and what they were trying to do and the positive things that they were trying to say. And I mean, they were just amazing people. They made contributions to PETA um, and many other charities. And yeah, just a fantastic, humble, awe-inspiring band. And we are very grateful to be able to talk about them today. So thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, next time, it looks like Ryan and I will be talking about just new the new metal genre, just in general. And we hope to find some interesting things to share about that and and maybe we'll discover some new things and yeah we look forward to sharing that with you guys yeah and we want to thank joe again for being our guest today and we hope that he returns for another episode at some point yeah of course thanks for having me guys and as we reach the closing of this podcast we recognize that it's the end but it doesn't really matter